0: Welcome to the Naturally Healthy Pets Podcast. Let's get to it. Welcome to this week's episode of Dr. Judy Morgan's Naturally Healthy Pets. And this week we're going to focus on kitty cats who are so often overlooked. We get so caught up in talking about things with dogs, we tend to head more that way, and I think that we need to pay special attention to our little furry four-footed purring kids. So my guest today is Holly Gans, PhD. She's the chief science officer and co-founder of Animal Biome. Great, great stuff going on in Animal Biome. A former academic scientist, Holly has translated her research in the microbiome into solutions for pets. She started by assessing tens of thousands of microbiomes to reveal common imbalances, and then she developed better approaches to maintain and restore gut health, including screened fecal microbiota transplantation material via oral capsules. So there's a lot of big words in there. Holly, thank you so much for being (laughs) a guest today, and we're going to have you tell us what all that just meant. So first of all, what is the gut microbiome? And, and right. why should we care?
1: <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So, so it, it turns out that there are a lot of bacteria that live in and on us and on our pets and livestock and other other animals that um play important roles. And we just didn't, until we were able to, you know, do DNA sequencing, we couldn't really characterize them. We knew a lot about the bad bugs, but we didn't know that there are all these a host of good ones that are helping with digestion and more. Um, and so the microbiome are bacteria, fungi, and other little tiny microorganisms that live on and in us. And they play. We should care about them because they, like, they help with digestion. They um, make nutrients more available for us. They produce neurotransmitters. They interact with the immune system. And the more we learn about it, the more critically we find that they engage with all the body systems.
0: Exactly. Um, and do you? So you've studied. Tens of thousands of microbiomes. And I assume when you have looked at these, you've looked at healthy animals, you've looked at sick animals, and you're able to make comparisons of where we would, what the ideal scenario would be versus the, oh my gosh, this is a mess.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, it's a complicated system, right? So we like to say it's like a rainforest in your gut. And so, um, you know, it's not. Simple, like there's like three things, and if you don't have them, you're sick, and you know. So everybody's a little bit different; it's like a fingerprint. Um, But we like to focus on the what the core members of the community that that are found in most healthy cats and dogs, and um, and try to understand why they might be so common among healthy individuals, and then why they may be absent in ones that are sick.
0: And so, what kind what kind of things affect the the makeup of the microbiome is it all diet related or age related how how do we how does the microbiome change what things affect it
1: right i mean so first off like when we're born like um we don't, don't have a gut microbiome yet so we start to colonize you know during um with humans it's during birth um with pets right they come a little bit encased. So it's, it's after the mother licks them and starts to nurse them that that you get the first microbes colonizing. Um, and then from the environment, right. And from the other puppies and kittens and, um, and then, so that's where it starts off so that, and when they're nursing, right, diet plays a huge role. So there's a completely different microbiome for nursing young than when they, you know, get weaned. Um, and it does sort of stabilize, um, And then later in life, things start to drop off and it declines with age. So it is, you know, a promising target to look at trying to like help maintain and support health longer. And do we, does the, how much effect does the
0: diet have? So we're talking kitty cats Mm -hmm. and um, a species appropriate diet for a cat is going to be a, they're obligate carnivores. It's going to be a very high meat diet with a little bit of fiber. but. We know that it, probably the majority of cats are fed high-carbohydrate dry kibble. How, how does the microbiome change? This is probably like a text, textbook full of information that you could give me. But how does the microbiome change, and what differences, for better or worse, do you see in a kibble-fed cat versus maybe a raw-fed cat? Does, does the microbiome shift based on what they're being
1: fed? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so we recently did publish a study that um, everyone can look at if they're interested um, on the cat microbiome. And one of the things we looked at was diet um, in healthy cats. And there's a tremendously strong effect of diet. Um, and like in when we surveyed sort of through a citizen science project, like many healthy cats in North America, a lot of them are on kibble. But um, yeah, biologically appropriate diets would be like for for a cat would be like eating the whole mouse or the whole bird, right? Whole carcass nutrition is one of my friends likes to talk about. Um, we know that many cats are fed commercial f- foods, and these foods are having a big effect on what we see. We don't really know, like long term, like what's healthiest, right? Like there's, it's like food is sort of political for people because we don't, in the absence of data, right? We have our beliefs and um, but. What what I'm seeing is that I think some of some kibbles, probably more like affordable budget ones, maybe don't have as much protein as cats really need. They're obligate carnivores. Um, And but I think because maybe so much research focused on dogs, dogs are a little more flexible, you know, in what they eat than cats. Um, Some foods don't, I think, have as much protein as we would all like to see. Um, And then there's sort of the other extreme where people are maybe making their own raw diets and they're forgetting to put some fiber in there. And like, normally, like if a cat is killing its prey, they're gonna get exposed to fiber from fur and feathers and cartilage and other things that are harder to digest um, that, you know, most people aren't gonna put in if they're grinding up muscle meat to feed. Um, So we see an effect, I think, on both ends. Like, I think some of the kibbles do include some nice high quality fibers that the microbiome is very responsive to. And so what I would, sort of the best of all worlds, I think would be to have sort of the whole carcass nutrition, plus, you know, a little bit of a supplement of some nice fiber blends to just help add a little diversity. Have you
0: studied the microbiome? And I'm not advocating this. I am really against this. But have you studied the microbiome in vegetarian cats, cats that are fed a vegetarian diet?
1: No, but you know, it's a huge topic for humans. And of course humans are omnivorous and very different. Um, so we know that the microbiome is very responsive to vegetables and like the more, one of the big things that came out of the American gut project, which was the UC San Diego study was like the more vegetables people ate, the like, um, more diverse their microbiomes were. Um, so, I mean, I think there there are some vegetarian cat foods on the market, but we haven't yet done a study. Um, I was coming, I, in a, past life was working on like cheetah microbiome. So I was coming more from a the sort of wildcat perspective. And, um, so haven't done a study on that yet, but it is, there are people who have, you know, have their b- values around the food chain and I want to do that. So I think that it, that it would be, we did do a study on a vegan dog food, but not, not cat. Okay.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So for those who are listening, I'm really not a fan of vegan and vegetarian kitty cats. It is just not what they are meant to eat. It is not the way that we should feed them. It's really hard to keep them at their peak of health um, on a vegetarian diet because that's not what kitties, kitties eat. So what is the Kitty Microbiome Project?
1: Right, so it's really how everything got started for me. I was um, a researcher at UC Davis and I was trying to get some funding just to understand like how does the cat microbiome get established in the beginning of life and how does it um, vary across life? And this was like a decade ago and it was really hard to get funding for that kind of work. Um, So I decided to do a Kickstarter which I called the Kitty Microbiome Project. And I just said, hey people, I wanna do science for cats. Um, And I asked my friends and family to help me. and get this project started because as you probably know like there's just not a lot of funding for academic research on pet health it's just a big gap um we care about human health and and not as much for vets in terms of our research dollars so i actually had this pretty successful um, kickstarter and people said like their cats had chronic problems and they were like i've tried everything Please help me. And so that's sort of what I was born out of. Was like, just send us your cat poop. We are going to sequence the bacteria, and we're going to describe what we see. And and I asked like a million questions about what diet they were on, and even like, did they go outside and kill kill prey, and what prey. And I couldn't get any farm cats because nobody could find their poop as they go awesome. outside. Just, <laughs> we, you know where they, you know, they are Well, I'd love to start so looking shelter cats and house cats and farm cats and sort of try and start to answer some of the questions that people have been asking for humans about how lifestyle and diet affects the microbiome and then look at disease as well. Um, so this was really the beginning of it. And this initial paper, which took a while to come out is really trying to look at like, what are the the bacteria associated with health. And then we're going to start to publish additional papers on different disease states, which, you know, there's so many and it's very complicated. Um, the main thing that we had to do really carefully here is that the microbiome does change with disease and change with age. And so all of the um, cats that we ended up reporting on here didn't have any health conditions. And we had to, like, we didn't have a lot of very old cats because they end up with something by the time they're. They're geriatric, so and that can affect the microbiome.
0: So in this study, you only wanted to look at younger, healthy cats without complicating. So if we have a cat that, no matter what age, if it has something like kidney disease, that is going to change the microbiome.
1: That's right. And that's one of the things we're going to be um, looking into this year is, is conditions like CKD and seeing how the microbiome is altered, um, because, you know, that will help us to come up with ideas for how like you could better support kidney function, because we think that the microbiome plays a role there. Like it's been said, it's like another kidney. I mean, it just says all these things. Um, but first we just need to know what, what it looks like in healthy individuals in order to understand these other conditions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Cause I, I know that, um, I mean, years and years ago, uh, We started using azadil, which is basically probiotics for kidney failure animals, um, because to help bring the BUN down, because the bacteria would utilize some of the nitrogen waste products and then it would be excreted instead of being reabsorbed into the bloodstream. So I I think this uh, the more information we can glean on how the microbiome plays into that and how we can support it is really really critical so i this is this is pretty cool and so you said in another lifetime you worked with cheetahs so do, do and i think you came out with like the the animal biome was at least what i knew originally was focused more on the dogs did you start out the the animal biome company focusing on dogs and no you no we start
1: cats we started with cats um Cats were first, but you know, people care more about dogs. I mean, it's the people who care about cats care way more about cats, but like, You're right. Um, we started with, well, we started with cats, we added dogs pr- pretty quickly, um, but yeah, and I did a doggy biome Kickstarter that the summer after, so it's just that it was a couple years later than the kitty biome one. And that might have been where people started to be aware that we even existed.
0: Yeah, I, I think least, uh, <laughs> yeah. it just became a little more mainstream and a little more well known. And I think that I think I met you um, initially down in Texas. You were talking about the doggy biome at that point. I think, I think, not really sure. Um,
1: yeah, this, this is, conference. I remember meeting you yeah, then. this is yeah. this is
0: really cool stuff. So um, this is we we all have certain things that we geek out about. <laughs> And so, and it's really funny because I joke about the fact that in my email or on my messenger in my phone or through social media, I get poop pictures pretty much daily. And, you know, my friends make fun of me and they say, well, you're the only person I know who has to open their email every day to pictures of poop, except this you're even better. You actually get poop in the mail. So I don't get poop samples in the mail.
1: (laughs) I have gotten my share of poop pictures and, um, and yeah, I love them. We made our own poop chart with some of them. I'm sure you could do your own. Um, I probably yeah. could. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. So, um, so how, what kinds of things, so we talked about, um, actually we're going to take a break in just a second. Uh, so I want to talk when we come back about, we talked about, disease like kidney disease and um, aging can affect the microbiome but I definitely want to get a little more into other things that can affect the microbiome for 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 the worse and then how do we support the microbiome how do we um how do we repair a, a microbiome that has been destroyed by whatever so there's a lot more that we need to dig into and we'll be back in just a minute Dr. Judy here. I want to thank our sponsor, Dog Eared with Lisa Davis. Do you love to read books about dogs on all subjects? I was recently a guest on the podcast, Dog Eared with Lisa Davis, where she interviews authors who write books about dogs, and I highly recommend you check it out. Lisa reads every book cover to cover, and her warm and engaging personality draws out her guests, and the resulting conversation illuminates the book, but without giving away the whole story. Also, I will be on monthly to answer her listeners' questions about natural pet health. So whether you want the latest advice on how to keep your furry friend happy and healthy, training tips, inspirational memoirs, or anything else dog, Dog Eared is right for you. Go to where you get your podcasts and type in dog-eared with Lisa Davis. Welcome back to the Naturally Healthy Pets podcast. With me today is Dr. Holly Gans, and we are discussing kitty cat microbiomes, basically kitty poo. That's right. (laughs) So what kinds of things will cause imbalances in the microbiome in our kitty cats?
1: Well, um, I'd say the most important thing is probably antibiotic exposure, but why do they end up needing antibiotics? I mean, so, parasitic infections, um, pathogenic infections, um, where they end up needing to go on it. Um, And then, I mean, like, uh, we find um, certain parasites are pretty common in cats. I don't know. What do you find are problems where you are? It does depend somewhat regionally.
0: Well, I mean, certainly we, uh, intestinal parasite problems, but for our house cats, we don't find that to be as big an issue. Um, certainly antibiotic usage for you know dental problems, urinary mm-hmm. tract infections, that kind of thing. Um, I think antibiotics are overused, but that's a different conversation. Um, but so the definitely a lot of antibiotic usage. Um, but I think that I mean, in my mind, the microbiome gets kind of messed up every time we give any kind of drug or chemical, whether that's a non anti-inflammatory, we'll give it, do an anesthetic procedure um, for anything. So um, I would think that any of those kind of stressors on the body is going to cause a change in the microbiome.
1: That's right. And yeah, I mean, I think with the kitty biome project, a lot of people reported that their cats had had a dental and were given like clavamox or some other pretty strong antibiotic prophylactically. And then their kind cat of ended up with diarrhea that didn't resolve despite everything that they tried. And that's why they were like coming to this project where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to tell you anything useful. We just want to understand what's normal for cats. And they were like, we need more data and research on cats. So here's my cat's poop. Um, Yeah. And so what happens is that some of these antibiotics are um, not just knocking back the bad bacteria, but they kill off some of these good ones. And you can't get them in any mainstream probiotic today. So, you know, sometimes they like just go to low levels and they can recover, but more and more we're finding that like some individuals, like they just never get them back.
0: Yeah. And I have to say that we saw that a lot in practice uh, where something changes. They, they go on an antibiotic for a a parasite problem or for an infection. And then it's just, we can't get them back to that level of perfect poop, or it takes a really long, you you would think, okay, I gave the antibiotic for 10 days. The diarrhea happened, the inappetence happened, the vomiting, whatever. And then you're like, okay, good. Well, I finished the antibiotic and we're not back to normal. Um, so if that happens, what's, what's the best thing for people to do?
1: I mean, really, I think that you can give it some time, but, um, the, the best, the gold standard I would say is to do a fecal transplant. So those are those poo pills that, you know, were a mouthful in the beginning. Um, and it's totally a weird idea. Um, but it's actually been practiced, um, you know, like Chinese medicine for more than a thousand years, and in veterinary medicine, at least in like in Europe, where we like more recent um, history, like for livestock, they've been doing it for over three hundred years, right? Like if you have a wow. sheep, yeah, who, who can't digest their food, right? You can imagine they they have all these microbes helping them digest plants that are really like cellulose, right? It's hard to digest that. Um, so veterinarians noticed that pretty early on. Um, Of course, companion animal medicine is right. It's a little over 100 years old. It's more recent. Um, But so basically, it's healthy individuals have all these good things. And and we find that most disease states in both people and pets, they're missing things. And the only way to get them back right now is a fecal transplant. There are people um, developing cocktails for humans. We're doing them for pets. Um, our first one's going to be for cats. We have new ones, but right now it's, but that's a whole research project. It takes multiple years. And, um, and I think also fecal transplants are way more promising for veterinarians because like they can prep, they can do them for today. They, whereas in human medicine, doctors can only do them for a C diff infection. Um, so it's, they're just not as accept accessible for people, which is really sad because there are a lot of people with some of these same problems. Absolutely.
0: So when we see cases of IBD, um, I mean, clearly there could be some food intolerances, but I think that food allergies are a lot less common than, than people like to think. Um, so if we have an animal with uh, inflammatory bowel disease symptoms or diagnosed IBD, would that be an animal who has um, a microbiome imbalance? And would we be able to get a lot of those animals straightened out and back on a good path with fecal transplants
1: so we do have a paper that's in um in revision right now where we looked at that for cats and um like more than 75 percent of the people whose cats took a 30-day course of these capsules did report improvement in some of those symptoms like diarrhea um, vomiting constipation um, and we but when we look at the microbiome, we do see like we saw small but significant changes towards healthy, But I'd say, like, right, you know, chronic inflammation, it's a, there's other factors at play. Yep. um, and so it's complicated, but it it really is helpful for alleviating some of the symptoms. And some individuals, it's like one and done. Some of them have to keep doing it. It's we try to like see what's the like minimum amount that they need to sort of keep supporting things. it's it is really complicated. we there's data support suggesting that, some individuals, their immune systems actually targeting these healthy bacteria and killing them off, um, hmm. and that came out of Colorado State, but um, but it is like it's a simple thing to do. It's I think relatively low risk for cats and dogs. Right there, their GI transit time is way faster than ours. They can eat dead things that we can't eat, and it's a, it's I think nature's first probiotic is a poo-biotic.
0: Is a poop biotic. So so Holly is the person who will mail you poop pills (laughs) to give your cat or your dog. Um, But we've we've seen great results with it. I, I know in practice. So our options, if we want to do a fecal transplant are, as a veterinarian, I can make a fecal slurry and I can put it up the back end of the animal. Or I can make a fecal slurry and tube it down the front end of the animal. Or we can buy fecal capsules.
1: <laughs> really, a
0: lot easier, and it doesn't require an anesthetic procedure or a trip to the veterinarian. Um, so, how how do you how do you make the poo pills?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. So, for starters, we we're running a stool bank. We're always recruiting healthy animals for it. We pick up poop six days a week. We process it carefully so that we try and protect as many of the bacteria from. The freeze drying process so we're freeze drying it well first we scrape off any contaminants right we mix it with something to protect the bacteria then we put in a freeze dryer i mean this is actually after we we bank it for a month and test it so that there's we know that there aren't parasites and pathogens in it because that's the last thing right a sick pet needs right, right? i mean we don't want to do harm but right we're trying to help and not hinder um and then we powder it we actually have these big, like, large coffee grinders. Every donor has their own. We clean. We are very careful about cleaning for obvious reasons. Um, and this is a job that, you know, only certain people are willing to do when they do it because, because <laughs> it really is game changing. So it's, you know, I view it as very much a labor of love.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But... But it's it's cool. It's this really cool science. Um, so I think this is kind of my last question, but is there, a, is there a big difference between the microbiome of dogs versus cats versus people? Because I actually read one study um, where they looked at human microbiomes and the dogs that lived in the house with them and found that they – kind of started matching each other but is there a big difference in dogs
1: and cats and people's microbes well, i love that paper was song it all came out a few years back um probably 2015 or 14 or so but um yeah so they that was a study out of colorado and they actually had sort of they were looking at like people and how much they share their bacteria in couples or married people and um and and then they sort of included the dogs as like a control or something and then they they didn't realize is that they're people spend time, a lot of time petting the dog. And so they were sharing microbes with the dogs. And I think people who had dogs shared more microbes because they were more interactions between all three of them than if they didn't. So it was very surprising, um, and an interesting finding, right. But it sort of makes sense. I have a very uh, affectionate dog, so I'm sure we're sharing all kinds of, of things, um, Yeah. So I think I've gone down. Is there something else that you wanted me to talk about in terms of what cats and dogs, right? Are they different? Yeah, cats
0: and dogs. Are their microbiomes similar or are they really different? So
1: all our microbiomes are different and they're different enough that actually, and this is just a geeky thing, but like for the primates, they've actually looked at just the composition of bacteria in the gut and they've been able to redraw the phylogeny of all the primates based on gut bacteria. So. There's a like a signature like right we get our first microbes from our mom and they got it from their mom so there's this really cool lineage that's still traceable if you look deep enough at the data. Um, so cats and dogs are different. One really large obvious difference is like Fusobacterium plays is more pre- prevalent and more abundant in dogs than people, and that's my dog. Um, and uh, so there are so we need to and there are other groups that are more cats than dogs um, and. You know, we don't really know why, just that they are, they are different. And there, the other study was, there was another study on IBD sure. in people and dogs and they, yeah, and basically Fusobacterium is actually bad in people and it's kind of a Goldilocks group in dogs, where if it's absent, it's associated with IBD in dogs.
0: Pretty awesome. I'm really glad that there's people like you that love to study this stuff because it's definitely not my wheelhouse. <laughs> Holly, thank you so much. Uh, So anybody who wants more information about this project or fecal transplants for your animals or testing your animal for for their microbiome, go to animalbiome.com. We'll put links in the show notes. Holly, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest. You are a wealth of information. Oh,
1: thank you so much, Dr. Morgan.
0: Thanks for listening to another great Naturally Healthy Pets episode. Be sure to check out the show notes for some helpful links. And if you enjoy the show, please be sure to follow and listen for free on your favorite podcast app. We value your feedback and would love to hear from you on how we're doing. Visit drjudymorgan.com for healthy product recommendations, comprehensive courses, upcoming events, and other fantastic resources. Until next time, keep giving your pet the vibrant life they deserve. The
1: purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. It is no substitute for professional care by a veterinarian, licensed nutritionist, or other qualified professional. You're encouraged to do your own research and should not rely on this information as professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Dr. Judy and her guests express their own views, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Judy Morgan's Naturally Healthy Pets neither endorses or opposes any particular view discussed here.